Ephesians chapter 2, I would appreciate that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to grab one out of the pew rack in front of you and follow along. Uh, certainly, it's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love for you to have that uh, as our gift. We can replace those. So, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be starting today. Uh, we've been going through the, the book of Ruth, a series on the book of Ruth. And, and looking at God's, the overarching theme of this book is God's enduring, His faithful love. It's, it's the Hesed love of God. And we've talked about that for a few weeks now. Um, the Hesed love of God, it's, it's almost like this undefinable because it's, you know, you want to quantify it and say, well, this is what, this is what love is and, and this is what it looks like. But God's love, it, we, we saw this several weeks ago when we, we talked about this theme. Uh, God's Hesed love for us is this steadfast, enduring love. And there was a long definition. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this definition again to you. And, and even in this definition, it doesn't encompass all of what hesed really is, okay? So we have to understand that we're not quite getting the full picture here, although it is a, it is a good picture. It, it's this, that God's hesed love is a faithful, right, loving, compassionate, loyal, steadfast. It's covenantal. It's a providing, redemptive, enduring, gracious love that he has for us. See, there's so many aspects of, of that love, isn't there? And, and we talked about this um, several weeks ago when we, when we put the theme together, that, that his enduring love is like this, this movement. It's not just where we're concerned often, where we can, are concerned often with what? From breath, first breath, when we're born, to death, to when we die. We're con- that, that's where we really are concerned because that's what we have control over, right? So we want to know how we're going to be taken care of. But ultimately, overall, God's hesed love, his enduring faithful love, is from before the foundations of the world is when that love began, and it will continue on and carry on all into eternity, into the future, right? So God, God's faithful and loving, enduring, steadfast, covenantal, gracious love for us is from forever to forever. And, and it's not just like a once-and-done kind of love, and we're going to see that today uh, when we talk about the, the theme of grace. Last week we talked about Naomi as, as the person we have interest in the book of Ruth. And, and as we talked about Naomi, we saw God's hesed love in the way that he provides rest for us that he's trying to provide rest, and there's a rest for our souls that we need. This week, we take a look at the person, actually, of Ruth, right? The namesake of the book, Ruth. And we look at, look at how God's um, grace was poured out onto Ruth and how God's grace carried her through. And again, we often have come, and especially in, in, for those of us who are Christ followers or have been Christ followers for several years, maybe a long, long time, right? We, we kind of think, oh yeah, God's grace was awesome. He, he forgave me, and he, he's, my, he's my Savior. And we kind of think of him almost in the past tense, like it's, he's been there before, and, and he saved me, and now I'm good. But when we look at an enduring, hesed love of God, and if grace is to be a part of that, then grace itself is also enduring. Grace is also continual in our lives. So we are to look for that, and in, in how is God's grace still being poured out? How is God's grace still being manifested in our lives? That we would respond then to that grace as well. Not only in belief and faith in Jesus Christ, but, but more than that. So we're going to look at that today and get a snapshot as we go through uh, grace and, and the idea of hesed, God's enduring faithful love as it pertains to grace from Scripture. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you today thankful that you are our God. God, for so many of us, we've come because you are our everything, and we come to, to worship you and to learn from you and to give to you, and we, we're so thankful for you. We thank you for grace. And God, today as we look at your word, would you help us to, to wrap our hearts and minds a little better around what grace really is and what an enduring love is when it pertains to grace. God, open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word. 
We ask that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that you would shape us and conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, whom you gave for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 3 together. I, and what I want to do, I wanna, we're going to set up kind of the, the set the stage here for the entire sermon. There are elements of grace that we're going to see presented in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to see these same elements presented throughout the book of Ruth and in our theme today as we look at Ruth in particular. Okay, So chapter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it says, We too, that's you and I, Gentiles, but we all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So we look at this, this picture, just starting there, there's this before shot, right? We, everyone has this before and after picture of, of faith in Christ. Before I knew Jesus, before I heard the good news, before I responded in faith, this is what my life looked like. This is who we were. And what we can say, overarching everybody, every single person in the world, right? The Bible says that there's not one that's good, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that we're all in the same boat, that we are, as Ephesians says here, Paul tells us, that we are by nature children under wrath because of our sin. That's the before shot, right? That's, that's just, and if, we, if that was all there was to it, now it just feels like hate and feels like a bummer, right? And we, we can stop if that was all there is to it. But that's not all there is to it. It goes on, it says in verse 4, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up in him and seated us with him in the, in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, so grateful there's more to the story, aren't you? For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. See, grace is this gift from God, and it is an active gift. Grace is an active gift, an enduring gift, if it aligns with hesed, the love of God. And, and as, as the earlier definition we saw uh, several weeks ago, hesed is this, this conduct, this, these actions that are lined up in accordance with the promise that God has set. So he's like, you know what, I've got this hope for you, and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make that a reality. So my actions are going to fit in, in line with that, that hope, that promise that I have for you, that I, I want to reach that goal. You know, that enduring love we talked about, it's like this parent to a child, right? This is the analogy we used. That as a parent, as, as soon as I knew I was going to have a child, my heart just over, overflowed with, with nervousness, right? Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm dead. But, but joy, right? And, and hope for this child and, and love for this child. And I would do anything for this child. And that, you know, whether they want to be a doctor or a copper or, or a whatever, a, a, bag, a grocery bagger at a grocery market, it doesn't matter to me. But what I want for them is this, them to become a whole, right, fruitful person. And for me as a Christ follower, I want them to know the love of God and to, to wrap their heart around Jesus and, and have, the, have their hope and their joy set on eternity because of Jesus, Right? This is my, my hope for that. That's my, the blessing I would, I would get and that my child would get. There's a, there's an, and, and every part of my life, every aspect of my life, I want it to be one of those that is an enduring love for my child to get to that goal. And that's how God is for us. So I'm not a perfect parent. There are times that I might get lazy in that endeavor. Like, oh, I'm just too tired or too frustrated right now. I just, what do I do? Go to your room. You know, that, that's, that's how we can become as parents. 
because we're imperfect. But the perfect Father, who has a perfect enduring love for us, is not going to let anything stay in the way of us receiving that blessing that He wants to give us. That promise that is the hope we can have in Jesus Christ. He's like, I'm going to make sure you have every opportunity to understand and know this blessing. And that's how God's enduring love comes up. So this gift that he gives us is a, a continual gift. He continues to push anything out of the way that's in his way of getting to us. It's God's gift. It's grace. So there's a few things about grace we're going to see in this passage. And, and on your notes, you'll see the four areas uh, of grace that we see happening today. The first one is this. Uh, number one is God's grace calls us out. It calls us out. Now, if you look back to that Ephesians passage, we're going to see a little bit of this, right? We once were sinful, right? We once were, by nature, children under wrath. There was, a, there was a point where we were doing what we shouldn't be doing. We were living how we shouldn't be living. Maybe we were living where we shouldn't be living. Whatever it was, our life was not as it was supposed to be, and God was calling us out of that. And, and the, next, the next part, and we're just going to go quickly through them and come back. The next part was uh, that it's, grace will stir up faith in us. See, we're saved by grace through faith. So God's grace comes down and stirs in our heart that we could act on faith, that we could give our heart and life to Jesus. We could empty us of ourselves and say, I'm going to abandon the places I'm not supposed to be. I'm going to abandon the life that I shouldn't have. I'm going to let go of the things and ideals I think are right. And I'm going to abandon all of that so I can come to faith in Jesus Christ. So it stirs up faith and belief in us. And we see that in that Ephesian passage. And then what happens is grace starts to move in us and move us to obedience or, or faithfulness ourselves. And, and that passage says that we are to display, God wants to display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So as he's been kind to us, there should be a response from our heart. And that response from our heart should cause us to display God's glory and God's kindness and God's mercy and God's grace. Ultimately, our, our faithfulness to God should put on display his enduring, covenantial, faithful, loyal, steadfast love that he has for others. Amen? That's what we're talking about here. And then finally, that, that we, we move in that way of, as a response that I'm faithful to God. And then God's like, yes, and as you do that, I, I, you're going to be filled up with this hope of the blessing I'm going to give you. My grace is going to bring blessing. And there are times that his grace will bring blessing on our life now. Certainly, you know what? We, we're really, you and I, as, as Americans especially, but as people, we like comfort. We like pleasure. So when, when a blessing, we say, well, I'm going to be blessed, that must mean my, my pocket's going to be full of cash, and I'm always going to be in good spirits and, and never you know, have to go to the hospital. That's not the case, and we don't see that in the New Testament. We don't see that in, in the apostles' lives, in Jesus' life. That doesn't happen, right? Sometimes we're blessed like that. Sometimes we're not. But the blessing that you and I can have is, is a hope that will endure and be able to bear this life in its goods and its bads. That God gives us a hope that's beyond the physical, the, the temporal, the, the pleasure, or the comfort. God says, I'm going to give you comfort for your soul. I'm going to give you comfort for your heart. That you, that you can say, it is well, and that I have hope and I have joy that will not disappoint no matter the situation, no matter the scenario. That's the blessing. That's the promise. And for, for Christ followers, for you and I, the promise is that we will spend eternity then also in heaven with Jesus. Like, yes, this, this life will have its ups and downs, but one day there will be a day when the downs are gone and we will spend all of our time in, in worship of God and in the presence of Jesus and we will be full and whole and there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more disease and no more death. We will be embraced in and embracing the promise of God at that time, the blessing of God. Why? 
because his enduring love and in his grace, he's moving us to that place. That's what God's doing. And that's what this passage in Ephesians shows such a great picture of. Now, if you turn with me to the book of Ruth, from Ephesians, turn to the book of Ruth. Now we'll get into our theme, right? Uh, we're going to go back and we're going to talk about each one of these little aspects together and see how this is seen in Ruth's life um, as, as someone who was not a Jew, right? Not in that culture of the Israelites. Uh, she was actually from Moab. She was a Moabitess. And we'll see what happens as, as God's grace is poured out on her. So number one was what? God's grace calls us out. God's grace calls us out. Looking at verse uh, 4 in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. So Ruth 1, beginning in verse 4. We, we, what just happened was Elimelech, right? The, the husband to Naomi had passed away. If you go back further than that, Elimelech had taken his family from Judah, from Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they left to go find greener, greener pasture, right? The greener grass. And uh, that, as often we do, like, oh, the grass is greener over there. Let's go. And we find out it's not. It's just a matter of did you water it or not, right? So they go, they leave, and he dies. Elimelech dies. So Naomi's there with her two sons. And it says her sons, in verse 4, took Moabite women, because they were in Moab, as their wives, against, against God's word, against God's command. Right? One of them was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. Right? Here's, our, here's our person we're talking about today, Ruth, who the book is named after. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Kilion, the sons, died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Now, if we pause here for a minute, if God's grace, God's enduring love for us in his grace is being poured out, and it's, it's being active right now, even in this story, it's being active. And we, if we're looking at Ruth and saying, well, what's going on? Something happens right here. Something happens in, in, is, in is happening in Ruth's heart right here. Because it's interesting what, interesting what follows. Now, the, the men, the boys had just died. Malon and Kilion had just died. They were living in Moab. So it wasn't like, like Ruth and Orpah had been brought into this great, awesome family who was really believing in God all the time, and they were worshiping God all the time, and having Bible studies together. Uh, the family kind of left that heritage, didn't they? They may have held on to some of that. We really don't know. But see, here's what happens. when We, we try to quantify grace. We try to look at our lives and say, well, this is exactly how it will play out. But we don't know exactly what happened here. I'm guessing because of Malon and Kilion, who were, who were guys that married into this Moabite family, and their dad was dead, right? You're bringing, you're bringing along uh, Naomi to the family gatherings of Ruth, right? And the family gatherings of Orpah. So it, you're, you're moving this family, a believing family in God, to these believers in Chemosh and other false gods and crazy religions and crazy culture. You're bringing the family into that. That's the heritage that's there. And, and so it's a little bit difficult for me to think that Ruth really, really, really got a sense of, of who Yahweh, God was, who the Almighty was. But there certainly had to be some conversation probably had too, right? But see, even now we're, we try to quantify grace. And here's, here's what happens. Grace, in God's grace, He calls us out. Scripture says that, that God is, is not willing that any should perish, but for all to come to eternal life. Scripture says that God has set eternity in the heart of every person. And Scripture says that God is drawing people to himself. See, that's what God's doing. That's unquantifiable. We can't say, oh, in science and in circumstances, and it just happens. Think of your own life. I've talked to people who are like, where this, there's something should be happening here. Like, there's something happening. I don't know what happened. There was a, a time where I was this, and then I just knew this, and God drew me. It was like this miraculous thing that God did because of his grace. Thank God, right? 
Thank God that once I was so messed up and so crazy and had no thought of how I could ever quantify faith, but now I'm standing and living in faith. God, thank you for calling me out. In your grace, you called me out. See, that's, that's what a good dad will do, right? A good father. In his enduring love, his faithful love, he's going to be drawing us to himself and removing everything that remains in the way so he can grab onto our heart. Whether we can quantify what happened to Ruth or Orpah or not, it doesn't matter. What we know is that God was stirring in their heart, that God was drawing them to himself. Whether they were at the family parties of Ruth and Orpah and culturally totally just doing whatever they want or not, there was something happening here because of God, and that's because of grace. Amen? As we go forward, the next verse says, after these men died, right, she, that's Naomi, and her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, set out to return from the territory of Moab because they had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. This was last week we talked about, man, Naomi was stoked. She saw that God was being faithful to his people, and, and they had left. They had decided to turn their back on God and go away from God, where they, and they left, it says, full, and they returned empty, she said. Right? She left when she was full. God had provided for his people. God's a providing God in his Hesed love. But for the girls, see, for Naomi, she left home and went to a strange land and was a foreigner in a strange land. And as she was there, there, was, there had to be tension in her heart. She knew what? That she wasn't home. That home was back there. And she should go back there. Now, that was last week, though. But this week, if we look at the same traveling, you look at two women. You have Ruth and Orpah. They are in Moab, which is home. And now it says they're traveling back, set out to return. She set out to return with her daughters-in-law. They're traveling to Judah, to Bethlehem. That's not home for them. And when they get there, they will be what? Strangers. Strangers. It's interesting, God's call, when he calls us out, it's interesting how this works together. For you and I, um, whether it's physical location or not, let's, just, let, let's move aside from physical and go to the spiritual. Before I know Jesus, I'm in a place I think is home. I'm in a place I think is comfortable. I'm, I'm confident in my culture. I'm confident maybe in my religious activity or whatever I set it up to be. I'm confident in my works-oriented you know, righteousness and kindness. And, and I feel like that's home. And that's the Ephesians verse. Before you were... This way, your children, by nature, under God's wrath. And we could call that home. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I, I want to call you out of that because that's actually not where you're supposed to be. That's not what I created you for. I created you to be in relationship with me. I created you so that you could be actually a citizen of somewhere else. Not just an alien or a stranger. God's like saying, not saying, I want to bring you in, stranger, and keep you a stranger. He's saying, where you think you are at home is really not home at all. And as he stirs in our heart and he calls us to himself, he's calling us to leave that place that we're not supposed to be, that we may call home, that we may call comfortable. He's calling us to leave that place and to come home to him. And that's what he's wanting. So maybe for you today, it's weird how this looks. Who knows? We said, who knows what happened there? For, for some of us, for some people's stories, Last week this happened. This has happened many times at our church. Someone finds their, themselves here. They find themselves here. I don't know. I just, I just came. No, you didn't just come. God was drawing you, right? And, and they can't quantify it. They don't know why, but God was drawing them here. There was a guy last week who came, and, and he, he, I mean, he, was, he said he believed in all kinds of other stuff, different religion. He was very, very 
very much involved in what that was. But he found himself here. He found himself here. And, and I said, well, why are you here today? I don't know. I do. I do. Because whatever you feel is home, whatever you feel is supposed to be right, isn't where you're supposed to be. God's drawing you and calling you home. You see, what's, what's great about Christianity, what's great about the Christian faith, the faith in Christ, is you and I, as Christ followers, can't drag anybody home. We can't. I, and I, I hate that because I have kids. I would love to drag them into faith in Christ and into eternity with me. But that is not how it works, is it? There's no dragging involved. Guess what there is? God's drawing is what's involved. God's drawing. And we want to pray for hearts. We want to shine the example and, and, and through our faithfulness to people so they would see the reality of Christ in us. But God is drawing people in. And, and, you may, and this, this, whole, this whole story, the idea of God calling us out, there may be even movement towards God, movement towards where you're supposed to be. You may step foot in, inside of a church a couple times. Like, oh, this, okay, yeah, I'm here. You may even start to pretend it's real for you. I say pretend because it never really hit, hit here yet. When Ruth and Orpah, and see, here's what happens. We see Ruth and Orpah walking, making movement towards Bethlehem, making movement towards their new home where they should be at home. That's where they're making movement towards, aren't they? But let's, let's continue in the story, see what happens. She and her daughter set out to return because God had provided food. Verse 7, she left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Next notes. Um, one thing to notice here, later on, this idea of being a foreigner, a stranger. Ruth, later on, when she talks to Boaz, she's, she's surprised at how, how kind he's being to her and how, how he's treating her. And she says this, she fell face down and said, why have I found favor with you that you would notice me although I'm a foreigner. You see, we still have that mindset that when, you know, when God calls us out, he doesn't want us to remain a foreigner. That's not who we are to be anymore. When God calls us out and calls us to faith in him, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High. Sons and daughters and citizens of the kingdom of God. There's another name, though, before we get into the rest of that story, there's another name, Abraham, from the Bible, that was in a similar situation, how God called him out. In Genesis chapter 12, it says this. This is the promise from God, the covenant promise to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go out. Right? What's he doing? He's calling him out. Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house. Go out from the place you think is home to the land that I will show you. And the Lord says, I will make you into a great nation. He didn't say, I'll let you reside in a nation that's not really yours. I'll let, you, I'll let you be a stranger in a foreign land. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. And the promise from Ephesians, if you kept reading down in that passage in verse 19, it says, so then, if, I, if I'm in Christ, if I'm called out and into faith in Christ, I am no longer a foreigner or a stranger. I was maybe an alien in a strange land, but I'm no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but I am fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You see, God's grace and his enduring love for us from the beginning of the world to the end, from forever to forever, right? There's no beginning and end, from forever to forever. This enduring love and this grace for, for, that he has for us is calling us out, is drawing us to begin mo movement towards him. And then it leads to the second point, right? God's grace stirs up faith within us. So there's this walk that happens, and, and this is where we find Ruth and, and Orpah on the, on the road, and where we find this, this kind of this crossroads that has to take place. Many people, 
Many people could start walking toward God. But you've got to count that cost. And the heart has to be in a place of not just movement, but absolute humility and repentance, that, uh, that, that emptying of yourself before you can be found in faith in Christ. And here's what it says. Let's, let's go back to Ruth 1, looking at verses 8 through 17. Naomi said to each of them, so they're on their way, their movement towards God, right? Each of you, go back. You're, yeah, you're moving this way, but go back to your, your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you. She's even wanting to bless them, but that's not, you know, God wants to bless his people. And she says, may God bless you. In verse 9, may the Lord grant each of you rest. And you really can't find rest unless you have Jesus. She kissed them and they wept loudly. And then they said to her, so there's movement. Again, movement towards God, movement towards Judah. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. We insist. This, is, this seems like pretty good stuff. This seems like a pretty good decision. If, if God is stirring this calling out inside of them and stirring faith in them, this is likely about to happen. We insist on returning to your people. But Naomi replied again. She's like, count this cost. Are you sure? Are you sure this is what you want, is what she's saying. Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able, uh, am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Verse 14, again, they wept loudly. Okay, so just right there, we'll pause. Something happens here. God's drawing them, calling them out. There's something that is stirred in both Ruth and Orpah. And what happens next? It's like, what's, what's going to happen here? And, and Naomi was, was awesome. You know, we, we think Naomi, maybe we give her bad, a bad time for this. Are you sure you want to go to God? Are you sure you want to go to this people? Are you sure you want to go to this culture? I think it's a great question. I think it's a great question we should be asking. There are a lot of people who make movement towards God, and they take steps towards God. And you and I ought to be asking, are you sure? You better count the cost of this, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you everything. We, we give up everything so we can gain a better everything. But are you sure you're ready for that? Because I don't want to lead you on and, and make you think that movement towards God is actually God himself. Movement towards God is not actually having the treasure that is God and found in Christ. There's more to it than that. And she's pleading with them. You, you need to go back. Count this cost. Count this cost. And it says they wept loudly again. And then verse 14. And Orpah, what she do? She kissed her mother-in-law and, and skedaddled. She was, okay, I get it. I'm going. See you later. But Ruth, what? clung to her. Why? Unquantifiable. God is stirring up faith inside of her. Orpah counted the cost and said, you know what? I, I don't, I can't abandon this. Maybe she wanted to hang out with Naomi and help Naomi or whatever she wanted to do. Uh, to, she felt an obligation to her. She said, you know what? Okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going back to my, my parents and my home, my culture, my gods. Ruth and that moment of faith stirring inside of her, what'd she do? She ex expressed true faith and clung to her. And Naomi again urged, look, your sister-in-law has gone back home to what she thinks is home, to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. Follow your sister-in-law. You see, here's what happens. Movement does not indicate genuine faith. Movement towards God does not indicate genuine faith. What it indicates is God's amazing, enduring grace is being poured on you and stirring in your heart to be calling you out towards Him. But God is also stirring in your heart to, to have faith. And see what happens next in verse 16. Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you 
or to return and not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. See, movement doesn't indicate genuine faith. Repentance does. And what happened with Ruth on this road is that she was there at a crossroads, and she has, at that point she had to give up everything and really truly invest and believe in God, or she could turn around and go back to her, her family and cling on to what she had. She decided to give up everything, and she, she clung on to, to Naomi, and, and she, she expressed faith in God. And this was that moment of, of God stirring faith in her and, and that gift of faith that was given. There was more than just movement. It was repentance. It was an attitude of humility coming before God saying, I just don't want to talk about moving towards you, think about moving towards you. I want you. And what you want is for me not to bring all my stuff along with. You want me to be empty so you can fill me up. We talk about Abraham. We brought him in, into this already. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this. By faith, God's stirring up faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was called out, right? So there's, he was called out. If you work backwards, he was called out, and he lived by faith. Then he obeyed and set out for the place he was going to receive as an inheritance. There's the blessing, right? He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Again, the grace that we're to receive from God is, is unquantifiable at times. We can't quite wrap our hearts around, like, why did that occur? Why I'm being drawn out to God? I mean, he's been calling me out. Faith is equally unquantifiable at times. Like, how, how I just, I believe, you know, we, we like the idea of seeing what we believe in. We like the idea of seeing and knowing, right? Knowing that God is, is up to something, and there's something amazing right there, and I can see it. He's, he's giving me the choice. It's so clear and laid out. But what God's doing is saying, listen, I'm God Almighty. I've given you a promise, and I've, I'm going to bless you. Trust me in that. And you can, sure, you can look at all the other people's lives around you in the past there, and you can look to Scripture, and you can see how I've been faithful. But you might not know what's right around the corner. You may not know how this plays out next week. But what he's asking is trust. Calling you out of where you think you're supposed to be and calling you to the place he wants you to be. He's stirring in your heart faith that you would believe and trust in him, even though you may not be able to see, even though you can't see what's ahead. Genesis 15 talks about this, this faith that Abraham said he had. It says, Abraham believed the Lord. That's faith. He believed the Lord. God said, I'm going to promise this to you. I promise this to you. I'm going to give this to you. And, and he couldn't see it, but he believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. That's what happens when we, when we exhibit faith in Christ. We leave our own filthy rags behind, and we trade them in for God's pure righteousness given to us through Jesus Christ from the cross and resurrection. That's what we get. That's what faith gives us, a righteousness that was never our own. And, and it's, it's this beautiful, beautiful gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, You are saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourself. It's God's gift so that no one can boast. It's not from works. So we have this movement of grace that calls us out. We have this movement of, movement of grace that stirs up faith inside of us. And then number four, or three rather, we have a movement of, of grace that moves us into faithfulness. It moves us into obedience with Jesus. So we've stirred up, you know, right, this saving, repentant faith, and it turns into action. It turns into action, but I need you to understand it's, it is a response to the salvation and to the righteousness that God has given us. It is not a requirement for it. God is not saying you better shape up or else. 
He's saying, because you can't shape up, I went to the cross for you. That if you would believe in me, I would give you a righteousness that you don't deserve. And with that righteousness and with the spirit I put inside of you, I want your heart to overflow with excitement and joy and response of obedience. Response of faithfulness. And that's what God is doing inside. Let's move to chapter 2 of Ruth. Let's, let's see how this plays out here. Ruth was very faithful, by the way. She was moved to faithfulness. So she had walked, right, towards God, and then she had faith, exhibited faith and trust in God, repenting of, of her sin and her past and her, her baggage, and she embraced God, and then she was faithful. Now, she didn't know how to be totally faithful, and, and we'll see in a minute how even Naomi is, is there as an encourager for her and, and as an example of, of how to live by faith. Naomi, right, who came back to, to Bethlehem saying, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, because I'm angry at God. I and mean, we talked about last week how, how good it was to be honest with God. And how right that is. And, but even like, like Naomi and like Job, they say, but I'm not going to speak about God unjustly. I, I, he's still God. He's still there. I, I know he's going to do something. So she entered into this vulnerable community and showed an example to Ruth of how to live a faithful life. So, so Ruth goes out into the fields and, and she goes to, to glean, right, to get the, the crop that's left over behind some of the, the workers. And she meets Boaz there. And uh, the, the, one of the workers, his, his foreman, kind of told Boaz, this is who this is, this is Ruth. And, and he's like, oh, wow, I want to meet her because Ruth, or sorry, Boaz knows Naomi. So that he knows what's going on in Naomi's life and, and he knows, what's, knows who Ruth is. And, and he's kind of privy to what's happening here. So he goes and he says this. Think about it as, as Ruth's faithfulness here. Boaz answered her, everything you have done, right? Those are called works. So everything you've done for your mother-in-law your husband's, uh, since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. So Boaz is like, I've got a good report here. You're being faithful. You're being found faithful, not only to Naomi, but to, to the deceased, and, and, and you're working hard here. How, uh, this is how, how she's been faithful, how you left your father and mother. You're faithful to, to follow your conviction, to follow God's prompting in your heart. You, you're faithful to leave your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. Amazing encouragement from Boaz, saying you are being faithful. It's amazing how faithful you are. And I, I want to go back for a minute to that idea of that stranger. Because she was literally, right, a stranger, a foreigner. She felt like that in a, in a strange land, in, in this land. And what, what happened here is what Boaz says at the end. He says, you left your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. Which means what? That she now what? Knows them. She now knows them, and she's a part of that. Why? Because God brings us out of the place we thought was home, and we are actually a stranger, and he brings us into this land and this community of faith, and he, he brings us into his family, the kingdom of God, and we're now citizens and not strangers anymore. It's not that I previously knew you. Now I know you. Now we're family because of God. So there were steps of faith in her life. There was faithfulness to Naomi in her life. And we see next how she listens to Naomi, even get, takes wise counsel there. And, and she doesn't totally know the culture yet. She's still a part of, part of the family, but she doesn't know the culture. So we jump down to chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> so Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, so she gives her some advice. Like, what, what are we going to do here? My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you? So again, this goes back to her wanting to bless her earlier. I want you to find rest. I want you to know the blessing that I know that's in God. And I don't feel it right now because I'm bitter, but I want you to still find rest. I know you can find it. Should I find rest for you so that you will, you'll be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Here's her advice. 
Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you are to do. This is kind of crazy, right? This is, you, are, you are Ruth. Although you're, you're in, a, in your house now, in your home, with your people, you're like, this, this culture is kind of getting to me. Like, what's going on? And what, and what she's explaining, what Naomi is explaining is like, this guy is a kinsman redeemer. He's the one or one of, one of a, a couple, at least we see, that can actually redeem us can buy us back, make our property, make our estates whole, uh, give children if we need to give children. Like, th- this, is the, this, this is the guy. And doing this, going in there and laying at his feet is a marriage proposal. This is how you tell him, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for business here. Let's, let's get this moving. Let's get some redemption happening. It's, it's interesting. Now, if we, a, lot of, a lot of Scripture is descriptive, by the way, and not prescriptive. So if you're in a dating relationship, and, and this, this is probably not the advice I'm going to give you. All right, this is probably not how to propose. It might be a kind of a tough situation. But this was, this was the culturally, cultural thing to do. Gussy up. Make sure he knows you're serious, not about other men that, that are younger. Because it seems like Boaz was a little bit older than Ruth. And, and Ruth was, was, li- uh, was probably going to marry some younger guy in the, in the town, in the community. And, and it seems like Boaz, it's interesting with Boaz, he almost seems like a passive, re- really loyal, honorable, honorable guy. But he's almost so honorable, He's passive. He's like, I just, oh yeah, I just, the way I'm going to love Ruth and Naomi is just to serve them, make sure they have food, and all, from a distance, I'll take care of anything. So, and Naomi's seeing this, and Naomi says, go, you need to go, get, get dressed up and go, and you need to propose. Make sure he understands this is real, this is serious. So she's listening to this advice. And culturally, it makes sense. And if you study the culture, this makes sense of what they would do. And, and so she's like, okay, I don't, I don't, I, acting in faith, because it's blind to me, I don't know how, how this is going to work. Go and do this. So Ruth told her, What'd she say? I will do everything you say. Because Ruth is what? She's faithful. She's faithful. She wants to be faithful to God. She wants to be faithful to honor God by honoring her mother-in-law. She's faithful. So, verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of a barley, uh, pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So funny, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? But she was being faithful. See, that's what God does. God moves us to faithfulness. It's a, it doesn't end with faith. We, like I said, we, we think grace is this once and done kind of thing. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for me. Thank you for his resurrection. That, that gives me power over death. But now I'll go about my life, and my hope will be eventually over there. It's like it skips. My grace, grace is good there, and grace is good when I die. But his grace is an enduring grace, a grace that continues and continues and stirs in our heart faith, but then it moves us to faithfulness. And we go on and we see it in Peter, it says this, that, that faithfulness proclaims, this is what it does, our faithfulness to God proclaims the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what faithfulness does. So if we're skipping between there and eternity, we're missing the proclamation and the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into light. That's what praises should proclaim. It also proclaims that once we were not a people, right? We, we thought we were, but we were not a people, but now we are God's people. It also proclaims that we had not received mercy at one point, but now we have received mercy. That's what our faithfulness does. So as God stirs and moves us to faithfulness, it's not to wreck your life and to ruin your day. It's to make much of Him. It's to glorify God so that others could see that they could be a citizen of the kingdom 
of heaven, that others could see that maybe where they think is home is really not home for them. That's what it should do. Titus tells us, or in the book of Titus, we read that Jesus gave himself for, uh, for us to redeem us, to purchase us, to buy us, and, and, and to re- redeem us from all lo- um, unlawless, or sorry, lawlessness. He redeemed us from lawlessness, these, uh, these evil ways, these things that I want to do my own way. And what did he do? He, to cleanse us. He gave himself to cleanse us, purify us by his blood, but to cleanse us also as a, as a people for himself, for his own possession. And the next phrase is wonderful. A people for his own possession, eager to do good works. You see, faithfulness to God is a response in our heart to what Jesus has done for us. It's not trying to earn because it's not by works, right? We don't, we don't get this grace by works. It's a gift from God. So we can't boast and say, look how good I am. What we get to do is say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Now I'm eager, passionate, excited, motivated to respond with faithfulness to you so that others would see you and be drawn to you too. Being eager and having a responsiveness comes from our salvation in Jesus Christ, that he's forgiven us. Grace isn't there just to whip you into shape and to straighten you out. Grace is there to cover all your sin and make you ready for heaven. But as we go from that point forward, our lives are to be lived out in response to what he's done for us, his awesome grace, amazing grace, so that people will see Jesus Christ in us. We ought to be eager. So maybe you're not eager. Maybe, maybe you're, you're the bummer on the, on the log sitting there like, oh, just, okay, I'll put in the time. I'll, I, I guess I'll show up. I'll go. I get it. I've been there. I've been there. I was a, I was a clock puncher, right? I was a time card puncher. I, I wanted to just put in, the, put in the hours. I was running out the clock situation. And a lot of you, you're here like, yeah, come on, let's run out the clock here. I get it. That, that's not what God wants in us. What God is doing is he's stirring up a faith that will move us to eagerly be faithful to him. It's not a punch-the-clock kind of situation. It is, I can't wait for whatever's next and whatever God wants me to do next so I could proclaim the praises of the one who brought me out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who, who took me from being a stranger and a foreigner and made me a citizen of his kingdom, who loved me and forgave me. That, that's what we're looking for, right? That's what we're excited about. So if you're a bummer right now and you're sitting, sitting there kind of like, oh, whatever, I'll just check it off, you need a heart change. You need a passion change. You need to understand the depth of what Christ did for you. Quit being a bummer. Jesus was crucified on a cross so you could eagerly search after him and eagerly love him and eagerly be faithful so that others would see him. He wasn't crucified on a cross so you could sit somewhere and be a bummer. Just saying. But we, we treat him like that sometimes. We treat it like this is just a religion. This is not a religion. It's a relationship, a vibrant relationship, a passionate relationship of response to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave up everything for us that we could have the freedom to love him. We don't, ha- we don't have to do it. We get to do it. And that's what true freedom really is. Number four. God's grace brings blessing. God's grace brings blessing. Let's see what happens in our story. Okay, back to Ruth chapter 3. 
looking at verses 8 through 13. Let's check that out together. All right, it says, At midnight, so, so she laid down kind of by, by his feet, right? <clears throat> At midnight, Boaz was startled. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just, it's a funny situation, isn't it? It's a funny scenario. I've got to maintain a straight face. All right. And I try to read it with inflections. I try to read it dramatically. So it's like, this is important, right? All right. At, at midnight, Boaz was startled. He turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. <laughs> Exclamation point. That's why I said, that's a woman. <laughs> Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Oh, that's the marriage proposal right there. It's like, hey, it, let's, let's make this happen. Let's sign on the dotted line. Let's change rings. Let's, let's do this. <clears throat> Verse 10. Then he said to her, what does grace do again? Grace brings blessing. He said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now to him, to, to Boaz, than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether richer or poor. See, Boaz, again, was that he was so honorable, so noble, he was kind of passive. He's like, I'm older. She's, she's got to find, there's, there's other guys out there for, for her. They'll, they'll take care of her. I, I, and, and even prayed at one point earlier, like, I, I pray that God blesses you in this way. That God will take care of you in this way. And he's the answer to his own prayer. He's kind of like that light bulb finally goes off. Like, oh, oh, not only is he, am I going to be a blessing to Ruth, I, I'm, I'm the answer to my own prayer for her. God's going to bless me with Ruth. Oh, he kind of understands this now, and he needs to get a little more active now. So she says, she says, hey, do something about this. He says, may the Lord bless you. Uh, you've shown more kindness now than before. You've not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Uh, it says, now don't be afraid, my daughter, for I will do whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. This is, this is deep. Like this shows this, this faithfulness of Ruth. The woman of noble character, by the way, you can read this later on and research it. Same phrasing found in Proverbs 31. Same phrasing in Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character. That's Ruth. That's how she is. That's who she is. Absolutely, Boaz is willing to do whatever she says because she is an honorable woman as, just like he's an honorable man. And he's ready. He's like, fine, yes, if you want to marry me, if that's what, I, I will absolutely listen to that. Yes, it's true. He says that I am a family redeemer. Yes, I, God is going to bless you. There's a redeemer here. But there is a redeemer closer than I. There's one, one ahead of me. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Honorable guy, right? He, even though he, he wants Ruth, he's like, there's someone else. If God wants to choose that way to bless you and redeem you, that's good. Let him do it. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will, he says. God is pouring out his grace through blessing on Ruth in this. And look at what he says at the very end of this. It's, it's beautiful. Now lie down until morning. What does God want to provide for our soul? Rest. Rest. You see, this blessing that God is, is giving Ruth is not only a, a man who's going to redeem and take care of her and, and, and give her this fullness of life and even help Naomi we see later. He's like, I want to give you rest too, Ruth. You can rest. You can take a load off. Take it easy. Have faith. Trust that God is going to be redeeming in this situation. God wants to give us blessing. But, but overall, I, I want us to understand, and, and God's word wants us to understand, is that what we get is rest in Christ alone. There's no other rest we can find anywhere. Even when Naomi is praying for rest for Orpah and Ruth as they go back to their homeland, they aren't going to find it. 
outside of God, the great I am, Yahweh, we cannot find real rest, the blessing that he's promising us. And we find it in the treasure, the greatest treasure we could ever find, and that is Jesus Christ. That's where we find our rest. He wants to give us rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He wants to give us rest. And that's this blessing. And for you and I, the rest that we're, we're looking for, the rest that we're hoping for, is rest of eternity, right? Because I said earlier, we, we aren't going to necessarily always be pockets lined with cash and always healthy and free of, free of the doctor. That's not what God has promised us. God has promised to do Sometimes he, he's looking out for us. He takes care of our needs. But what makes this life, the ups and downs, the, the, the great things or the, or the horrible things, what makes this life bearable is the hope we have in a rest that we will have forever with Him one day. Scripture says what? That there will be a day. Although it's tough now, there will be a day where there is no more pain, where He'll wipe away every tear, where we will have true rest and true fellowship with God, the same God who created us to be with Him in the beginning. This enduring love that started from before the foundations of the world will endure into eternity forever. That's what our hope is in. That's the blessing we are going to get. And that makes our ups and downs of this life bearable. That makes me feel okay about a bad day. It feels, makes me feel okay about maybe some, some honesty in my heart that says I might be a little bitter or angry right now. But God, I know I'm going to hope in you. What it does is it doesn't allow me to boast in myself, though. It lets me empty myself and say I'm going to boast in Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to boast in what he has accomplished for me because that's the only way I'm going to spend eternity with him forever and receive that blessing that he's wanting to give. So I want to go back to Ephesians now. If you, we'll go right out of Ruth. We're done there. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want us to just see this, this passage again. <clears throat> to, uh, chapter 2, we're looking at verses 3 through 10. See the glimpses here and the glimmers for us as Christ followers. It says, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. See, that's that before. We were, we were somewhere we were not supposed to be. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And jump down to verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That's what God's promising us. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. That's the blessing we can receive. Now, we're gonna, the blessing we have now is that, that hope we can cling on to. 
that hope, and we know that God is going to be providing for our needs and taking care of us, and we're going to see glimmers of blessing in this life, but ultimately the blessing we have is in him for all eternity. Grace has been given to Abraham as well, right? He called, God called him out, go out from your land and your relatives and your father and your father's house into the land that I'm going to show you. And what do you say? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, the, bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples of earth. It doesn't matter if they're strangers or aliens or foreigners. Every stranger and alien and foreigner can be made a citizen, a son, a daughter of the Most High God. And that is a beautiful thing. That God, it, it doesn't matter what race or religion you're from. It doesn't matter what your, up, your upbringing was like. God is reaching out to you and drawing you calling you out from where you may not be supposed to be, right? To a place that, that he wants you to be with him. So, so as application today, maybe you're the one that's calling out. Maybe you've, you've had movement. You've taken those baby steps and movement towards God. You feel like, oh man, yeah, I like God. I'm close to God. But you really don't have a faith in God. You've been moving towards him like Orpah was moving towards him. But when it came down to it, right? When you had to make that decision, you kissed your mom-in-law and left. I'm done. This isn't for me. God is stirring faith in your heart. God's given you that opportunity to exhibit faith and to trust in Him as Savior, and I want you to do that. As He stirs up faith, maybe that's where you're at. You, you, you're stirring up that faith, but you're feeling like, I still want to hang on to some of the things I, I left behind. And no, God said, no, you got to drop it. you got to let all that go. Come to me, and I will fill you up to overflowing, but you got to let go of your stuff. Empty yourself first. Maybe for most of us, and that's probably where we're at, is he's, he's moving us to respond to his grace with obedience and to not be a bummer, to actually do it eagerly from the heart, saying, I want to respond however he wants me to respond. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to live in a way that exemplifies Christ, that, that displays the glory of the one who brought me from darkness and into light because of what he's done for us. Or maybe we need to grow a little more in treasuring Christ as our greatest blessing that we could ever have. There's nothing on earth that will ever satisfy like Christ will. He is the greatest treasure we could have. And in that treasure, he is the only blessing that will fulfill for all eternity. And that is God's amazing, steadfast, loyal, faithful, covenantal, enduring, grace-filled love for us. Amen. All right, let's stand and pray together. Lord, you are so, so good to us. You're so great. Thank you for drawing us, calling us out. And God, for so many of us, we, we, we can't even quantify what happened or where, when it happened. But God, we know that you called us out. You drew us to yourself. And God, we, we were given that opportunity by your grace to have faith in you. And we thank you for that gift, that gift of not only grace, the gift of faith that we could exhibit in you. God, thank you for that. And God, may our lives be lived out in response to that faith, to that grace. May we live eagerly to serve you and love you and be faithful to, to show you off because God, our works aren't sufficient, but yours are. And God, we look forward to the blessing. We look forward to the blessing that your grace, your enduring grace is going to, to accomplish and that it has accomplished. We look forward to eternity where God, one day all of this, all of these trials and hardships will be gone and over and we will be made whole once and for all. 
We long for that day, and then from that day, we will spend the rest of forever with you. Thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, we're, we're